This podcast is sponsored by Enriched. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, then you'll know that I'm not a big fan of Big Pharma. So I do everything I can to try and stay out of their sickness subscription system. And a key component in my daily arsenal is a dose of what I'm calling the White Basement Lion King Super Stack. First, chugga mushroom, known as the king of mushrooms for a reason. Its potent antioxidant, antiviral, immune-supporting properties make it the most studied medicinal mushroom on earth. And although there can be only one king, the king wears a mane, a lion's mane. Brain-boosting, neuron-sharpening, cognition-enhancing, lion's mane is the perfect partner for King Chaga and the second half of the Lion King Super Stack. For me, it's the perfect start to my day helping me to go hard and go home. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the discount code WHITEBASEMENTPOD to get a 10% discount site-wide. Start your day like a king. Go to Enriched and grab the Lion King Super Stack now. So the, the, there's a curse on these vaults, right? The person who opens it um, will die, right? And... The four people, I think four, three or four people who actually went and opened the first vault, they all died within like six months. One guy died of a heart attack, another one out of a stroke, another one like, again, heart attack, something happened to them. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Uh, I'm a bit croaky today, so apologies right up front. Uh, I had a cold over the weekend, but uh, like, a, like a true podcast professional i'm still here um follow us uh, white basement pod on instagram and uh like share comment uh let us know who else you would like us to get on the podcast today i'm joined by krishna nath uh he's one of my jujitsu buddies and um he said to me do you want um me to come on and do a podcast and talk about ancient aliens and prehistory and how it links into uh, India and Indian culture and history. And I said yes, because it's a subject that I've, I'm fascinated by. Um, I, think, I think for me, probably more because I, I, like a, I like a secret. I like a secret history. I like to, to find out stuff that's not uh, mainstream and not widely known. Um, I've read uh, Graham Hancock's book, um, Fingerprints of the Gods, a long time ago, and I've, I've just gone back and kind of scanned through the audio book recently uh, and watched his Ancient Apocalypse, uh, the Netflix series, which which was uh, recent, which is really good. You should check that out if you haven't seen it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, be, being able to, to dip into things in a, in a bit more detail and find out some, uh, some different stuff because he concentrates a lot on kind of South and Southern America yeah, and not yeah, so yeah. much on Southern India. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let me say welcome to the podcast. Thank and, you. Thank you for having me. And let's go. Okay, cool. Um, so the way I like to start talking about the subject is really about, um, the, the, the uniqueness of the fact that there's a flood myth in every single society there is, right? Whether you are a, a Christian, uh, you know, one of the Abrahamic religions, or you're from um, uh, from one of the Dharmic religions, or you're from South America, North America, there's always this one thing where we've there's this flood, 
it wipes out humanity and we've ended up in a position where you know the we've had to re repopulate the earth right so i think about uh, when graham hancock went on uh, joe joe rogan's um, podcast i listened to that and i was like oh you know like this guy's talking a lot of interesting stuff but his focus is on like you said like it's south america north america but like i come from india i come from a place called uh, trivandrum in kerala um it's the southernmost tip of india and we have a lot of like architecture there that's like like it's from people say it's from the 13th century but there's a distinct feeling that it's a much much older technology that we're using so again went down the the rabbit warren that is that is youtube watching videos and i really got into like ancient um civilizations so not so much the alien stuff but for me it's like people have people love telling stories and the only way that i think you know cultures back in the day would be able to perpetuate their stories and their their mythologies to embellish it and they will make make something that's quite small into something big but everyone seems to have this flood myth and that really got me curious because whether you're from Iraq or you're from India there is a bloody flood, uh, bloody uh, flood myth and you're yeah. like okay something bad must have happened that it's etched into all of our all of this collective society's brains yeah. that there was this period where water came down and it wiped us out and we lost cities and you know we, if you go into the bible it talks about cities being lost uh, during the flood uh because of the sin of man right but if you go to um go to um the hindu mythology um there's a there's a story about lord krishna saving uh, people from a flood and the flood is supposed to be like the gods got angry at the people right so clearly there's something really really etched into this so again went down the rabbit hole um really like got interested in sumeria which kind of uh, the today's the 28th your podcast today is talking about sumerian beer so it kind of like i remembered about that um and yeah so i was like you know what what's going on here and that kind of led me to one of my real passions which is um uh, hinduism and hindu mythology and i started seeing things about temples in india which are really really like it's it's crazy how a group of people managed to build something say 2000 3000 years ago that's still present still being used today but at the same time like we can't explain how they did it so we've got temples up in the mountains and the foothills of the himalayas right and someone had to drag rock from there all the way to the other to the top of this mountain to build this so uh, you know it got me thinking how would they do that um and that kind of led to led to researching more into what happened with the pyramids and my opinion is like the culture that built built the pyramids is not the egyptian culture it's a culture that predates them that has been wiped out yeah. um because if you take think about like most of the stone stone work that you're building it's not soft stuff stone it's not going to be light stone it's going to be really heavy stone and the heavy stone you can't lift it up without some for some form of crane and it's not going to be people who are slaves going to be lifting it because there's no way you know, you would have to have millions of slaves to yeah, kind of create I, I, it. I mean I was listening to like I said I was scanning through that um fingerprints of the gods the yeah. audio and this morning there was a bit that um 
I think I think this is correct that the the limestone blocks at the pyramid at Giza yeah. are so heavy that there's only two cranes in the world that could lift those yeah. stones. And um, he said it's a six to eight week operation to lift one stone yeah. with, with one of those yeah. cranes um, because you have to calculate all the physics and yeah. they have to they're ballasted with a hundred and eighty ton counterweight. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean that's I, th I think I mean as you say it's it's um the thing that fascinates me is that it's uh these things are kind of hidden in plain sight. Because like you yeah. say, you know, you've got these temples, you've got these architectural structures, you've got these things that People just take for granted. Oh, there's pyramids in Egypt. But yeah. No one, yeah. no one really, or, or very few people, really kind of get into the details of who built them and yeah. how did they build them and yeah. why did they build them. Yeah, and that that really is the thing. Like my background is I'm a software engineer, um, so again, like building things for me is like quite like I like to work out how something is being built. Um, so for me, like just having a bunch of slaves lift, you know, put giant blocks on a on a ramp on a sled on a ramp and then lift it into the right position just does not seem feasible and considering it's you know the desert you're not gonna have that i mean you've got access to the nile but you're not gonna have that much water where you, you can create some sort of slurry that will make it easier lifting right so the, the history books that i've read like the traditional history books i just kind of take it with a pinch of salt and I'm not like I'll be honest with you. I'm not like a one of these kind of the aliens built it kind of people. I think humans are capable of building it. I think we are ingenious enough to do it, um, and I can understand it if it was just a one-off like the pyramids of Giza. But we've got pyramids all over the world. You know, in um, Iraq, in um, uh, Mesoamerica, we've got we've we've you know we know that we can build it wherever we are in the world. You know, even the Incas with the you know the the their walls in uh, Machu Picchu, yeah, like the precision of the cut, like yeah. there is no, no mortar, there's no cement, there's nothing. It's perfect fit. Yeah. Um. So clearly, we you know humans, we we have a habit of learning something, and we adapt our brains to learn it, and then once we find a better technology, we just kind of let it go, right? So again, these kind of links started happening, and um. And what happened was in 2011, my the big temple in my local town, um, it it turned out that there were these vaults under the temple where the king, the former king of the region, had stored his gold and whatever taxes he's got. It's all been stored there. And this was the links you sent. Yeah, this is yes, one of the links yeah. I sent you. Um, and this temple is really cool. Um, and I, what I would like to take the listeners on is a little journey through India where, you know, I want to kind of show the plain sight stuff, but actually show you the interesting stuff within it that will kind of make people realize that there's something else going on that we don't quite understand, but at the same time, it shows the ingenuity of human beings, right? So this this temple is, it, it's supposedly built in the 1300s. Um, I personally think it's older because... There, like, there are th aspects of it that's just amazing, right? So the um, the t there's this tower in front of the, which is on the gateway of the temple, on the the autumn equinox and the spring equinox, the sun the sun will set through seven uh, windows on the tower. So there are seven windows on the tower, and basically the sun will set perfectly in line, 
and the the um, so with Hinduism we pray to an idol. The idol is um, is this giant. I think it's about thirty feet in um, in length, and it's about two stories high, right? And it's made out of rock that they got from Nepal, shipped it all the way to Kerala, and then they reassembled it. Um, and this temple, this on this day, on these two days, the sun will set. <clears throat> excuse me, on the um, navel of the idol. And on that navel is the Lord Brahma. So in Hinduism, we've got Vishnu and Brahma sits on a lotus from Vishnu's navel. And on that day, the sun will set. And I've, I've seen it like once in my life. Um, when I was a kid, my granddad took me out there um, on that day, just as, you know, he wanted to show it to me. And it was like one of those things that, you know, granddads do. Um, and it really made me realize that how, how cool my culture is, like, again i always like playing with lego so building things and all of that kind of stuff so here i am you know i'm a child looking at this going oh my god that's amazing and that kind of like i know you're a flat earther so this is this is the flat earth thing that i want to tell you like if the if it was a flat earth there is no way that with the precession of the sun and the the orbit of the earth that you would be able to get that kind of curved to move move to take into account the movement of the of the uh, tower against the sun so that the sun sets to the right angle right so you, if you think about it it has to be a hyperbolic arc so the complex maths about it is that there's a hyperbolic arc, arc and for something to be hyperbolic it has to be a curve so flat earth if it was a disk it wouldn't quite work because the way the sun would have to travel on a flat earth is completely different to the um, the geometry required for um, for a round object. So that's the maths, um, and hopefully I haven't bored your listeners as yet. But but the amazing thing about this temple is that it's in the middle of a fort, right? And there are escape hatches from that temple that take you out to sea. So if the fort is like um, under attack, the people defending the fort fort can get out of the fort. And you know, come come around the sides and um, and defend themselves, right? But what happened was we kind of lost that knowledge. Uh, but every so often, when we get like a tidal flood, um, we'll suddenly get sand in the temple, and it's sand that's from like two three miles away at the beach, and we get the sand inside the temple, and everyone's like, "What the hell's going on? Where the hell is the sand coming from?" And it just turns out that. The, the people who built this temple have made it so that there are escape hatches, there are, um, and, and like they've got escape tunnels that under the, under, the, um, under the temple that go out two, three miles to allow um, this kind of... Uh, into the sea or it, up to, up the, to the sea? Up to so the sea. it goes into the beach. Right. Um, but the thing is, we've lost that. We don't know where it goes now because it's all been built up. So no one actually knows where it is. And, you know, it's a really, like, sad case that, you know, in the last 70-odd years, we haven't really preserved these kind of um, um, uh, monuments, right? But this temple, BBC went on, like, they did their whole traditional post about this temple being from 1300s, and they talked about um, the riches found in there. And it's about, I think it was about $1 trillion worth of gold found in it. And... Um, 
it's a one family owns that temple. So it's a king uh-huh. royal family when India became a republic, they became private citizens, but they own the temple. So they're arguably, you know, as rich as the Saudi royal family, if not richer, simply because they've got artifacts that, you know, for the last 400, 500 years of gold. Um, one of the things that they found in there was like armor for a, um, for an elephant that was made out of uh, 22 karat gold. Oh, wow. Right. So, you know, we're talking about massive volumes yeah. of gold, right? Um but that's heavy. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it had to go back in. They put everything back in because, yeah. like, they're, they're just scared that someone's going to come and try and nick it, right? And especially in India with, with government officials being what they are, it's it's going to happen eventually. And is it is it right? I, I think I was scanning through one of those mm-hmm. uh, links that you sent me that n- no one knows how to reopen that vault now? Yeah, there's this one vault that can't be reopened, right? Um I can tell you some really cool other stories about this these vaults. So the, the, there's a curse on these vaults, right? The person who opens it um, will die, right? And the four people, I think four, three or four people who actually went and opened the first vault, they all died within like six months. One guy died of a heart attack, another one out of a stroke, another one like, again, heart attack, something happened to them. Um, so... And when, when, did they, when did they open they it? They opened they? it in, they found it in 2011, Right, and soon after sort of yeah. opened in. And, yeah, and, 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 and this temple is like one of the most chilled out, awesome places. Like you really feel the positivity in this place, right? Um, and they're really cool. Like if you're if you're non-Indian Hindu, you will not be able, you're not allowed in there. Right. So it's quite, the entry, entry level is quite specific. You have to be a Hindu. Um, and if you're a Hindu from uh, up until like 10 years ago, they wouldn't allow Hindus from Indonesia from Bali to go in, like they would stop them. Um, or if you didn't look Hindu, they wouldn't let you in. So my mom's been stopped numerous times. My mom's like, you know, one of these uh, fair-skinned Indian ladies. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they're like, no, 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 you're mixed. You can't come in. I'll walk in. But, you know, my other members of my family will walk in, but my mom will usually... But you, your mum's been in, though? Yeah, yeah, in she's been. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. yeah, but there are like four entrances. It's the main entrance where they're really super strict. Right. Um... Whereas in the other entrances, they're not, you know, they'll kind of let you slide with a few things. Um, and it, it was really like, you know, going to that place, like, I just love the architecture, the the engravings and the rock that they've built, right? It's just amazing. Um, it's all made out of granite. So the entire superstructure of the temple is made out of granite. Um, the floor is all granite. And if you look at the floor, look at the architecture like the precision levels are just ridiculous and if it was built in 1300s like equivalent would be like notre dame de paris right Mm -hmm. it's it doesn't even compare i've been to the notre dame de paris and you can see how wonky the the build is right but if you go here the the pillars are perfectly straight Mm -hmm. they haven't moved they haven't kind of warped over time it's perfect and then we have this, um, um, it's, it's called the Saptaswara um, uh, Mandabam. And it's, it's basically like a platform where they would do singing. But what's amazing about that, that uh, platform is that it's got pillars around it. And each of this pillar will resonate at the sound of C, uh, C D, E, F, G, A, B. So it, if you put your ear next to it, it actually like will sound at the note it's supposed to be. Now, that means that they've carved it, 
with a hollow, got it to the position where the air will will kind of make it move mm. and resonate at yeah. that right. Thirteen hundred, like th was it thirteen hundred years ago? Two, like we're in two thousand twenty twenty three, right? Yeah. So seven hundred, eight hundred years ago, there is no way that we had the technology back then. And this were that that would supposedly be in the dark ages. Pretty, yeah, pretty. It much, would be the dark ages. When nothing happened. Nothing happened, right? Um, and it's it's and to, let's let's be honest. Now we can do it, and it's made out of granite. And this is not, you know, granite is not an easy mm. material to work with. It is a very tough, hard material. So, like, I started doing into more research, and how would they have done it back then? And one of the things I came across was like Damascus steel. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've heard of Damascus steel, yeah. right? So Damascus steel is a it's a, it's a name for a like a um, a patterned steel that you find in uh, nowadays you can make it with typical steel, but like there's a way of making it, but it's not Dam proper Damascus steel. Damascus steel is like super light, super strong, super sharp, and it keeps the edge right and and it doesn't lose the edge for a very long time. And in India, we were making the cru a crucible steel called Urka. And Urka is like, it is what we then shipped out to to uh, Arabia that got turned into the Damascus steel swords. So if you go to India, like there's a lot of um, old um, museums where they have these pieces, which are Damascus steel. And they're like, oh, oh, they must have shipped it in. The typical, typical understanding is it went there and it came back. Mm. But actually, we'd had the technology and we knew how to build this much, much longer than what we think it is, right? So, like, we were... And again, it's, it was all from South India, um, Damascus steel, the, 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 how people made the raw ingots was made in South India and then it was shipped out. Um, and this this kind of journey that i kept on going down um like i would go down like these rabbit warrens where i'll kind of get interested in something and i'll be like oh i wonder how they did that right um and like this temple for me is like the start of my journey into into understanding like how the indian architecture indian culture it's still linked to the ancient people right although we don't understand fully um, a lot of the um, like the language um, there is still like most of our prayers are in Vedic Sanskrit and that's from like 3,000 4,000 years ago right it makes no sense if you if you know Sanskrit and you try and translate it into English it will literally it'll be gibberish because the you know like English old English versus new English it's you know there is a evolution of a language right so this is how I kind of got into this um, and what happened was, I think, um, just after my kids were born, uh, the older one was born, we, uh, in 2018, we went to India and we went to this temple in, um, in, in a place called Tirupati, right? There are two big temples there. One is, uh, one is the, um, temple for, um, Vishnu, um, which is the big one that everybody goes to, but there's another smaller one that is, is a Shiva temple, but, it's again amazing architecture, um, made out of granite. You go into this place; you, it just resonates positivity. I can't explain it. Like, it you go into that place and you walk out, and you're like, you know what? I feel like a hundred, hundred million dollars. Like this, I feel amazing. Yeah, we have we've been to a few places in Thailand. Yeah, 
temples yeah. similar kind of thing yeah. i mean obviously the, the one you're talking about yeah. haven't been to but same kind of thing you go in there and you can feel an energy field yeah, yeah. i mean that's, that's yeah. the only way you can describe it a, f- a physical energy field that that affects your the way your body yeah. vibrates yeah for sure yeah and um <clears throat> so when i came back I, I was looking on wikipedia but i wanted to know a little bit more of the history um and basically this is um this temple forms a um a, is part of a group of temples that are that if the the name for it essentially um translates as the four uh, five materials temple so you've got air water fire earth and ether right so there is a temple for temple for one of these in in that area um the one that i went to was the one for air so i start again just down this rabbit warren looking at things and one of the things that i picked up was they they all kind of span the 79th meridian right and if you take a line on the 79th meridian it, it pretty much goes from top to bottom of india so from the probably one of the most northern parts down to the most to almost to the tip right and i was like that's that's weird like a group of people decided okay we're going to build a temple here and then we're going to go you know 20 miles north and then we're going to build build another temple here and they just kept on building temples mm. and if you if you know one of the articles i sent you um basically from i think it's um it's almost it's almost at the foothills of the himalayas if not in the himalayas down to the closest point of india to sri lanka right that's that's the line and there are temples for one deity it's all the same deity from top to bottom like it does not make like it, for me it never made any sense and then i kind of went like how would these people like if they built it like thousand years ago like how would they have been able to calculate the position on the 79th meridian i mean there's a couple of degree like half a degree either either side but it's pretty much on mm-hmm. 79 right <clears throat> and then that kind of got that curious thing about like you know how would they do it and i realized that a lot of it is done by calculating the position based on the stars and that led me back to egypt again because the pyramids of giza at one point in time would line up with the uh, belt of orion Mm-hmm. right so the three pyramids actually were in line with orion at the time that they were built they're not in alignment now because the earth has moved and so on and so forth but we know that at one point in time there must have been an alignment and that's where i kind of went there must have been a group of people 4000 5000 years ago possibly older than that that have worked out complicated maths position astrological positioning and astronomy to such a high level of degree that they were able to build things in a straight almost in a straight line across not not a few hundred miles but a few thousand miles mm. yeah and and the engineering to do and it. the engineering to do it and to bring materials not only from um so most of the most of the uh, deities for for these temples are not found it's not found the materials are not found in in the place that they're built they're brought it from other places yeah i think even something that i heard more recently um which again you know you 
certainly for me there's times when i'll listen to something for a couple of hours but mm. there'll be a couple of little things that just jump out and really kind of yeah. capture my imagination and it, one of them uh, was saying that inside the great pyramid of giza there's no um they don't find any soot when they go in yeah and it's so deep inside that to work in there you would need electric lights mm. and uh ventilation system yeah. Yeah. So you you basically you'd need some kind of electrical power yeah. to get in there and and, and work inside. Yeah, which you know, it, we, it doesn't we, make it doesn't make any sense, right? But so well, let me but let me ask you a question. So you 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 sort of um, have ruled out the the possibility of aliens in inverted commas, yeah. or, or it's not your preferred kind yeah. of um, idea. You, as a as a, um, a practicing Hindu, yeah, you do believe in God and the supernatural. Yeah, I do. What's the difference? I th it's a bit difficult, isn't it? Like there is a part of me that thinks that our gods were the aliens, right? Like because because you know that I this this was something that sort of was brought to my um, awareness about. 10, 15 years ago from a good friend of mine um, called Steph, who's a Catholic mm. and a deep conspiracy theorist. Mm. And I was making short films at the time. Yeah. And uh, I was speaking to another friend and I was saying, oh, you know, I'm trying to think of an idea for another movie, whatever. And he said, oh, you should talk to my friend Steph. Like, if you want an idea yeah. for a film, just go talk to him. And um, I can still remember I... I um, I had my like hands free and I was driving. My mum lives near Reading and I'm right. here in Barnet. And it was about an hour and a half drive back and I just had him on the hands-free and he just talked for an hour and a half. By the time I got home, my head was just exploded, yeah. you know, because he was saying that that um, aliens, um, in terms of that sort of uh, classical, uh, the grey alien with the yeah. big eyes, they're demons. Yeah. You know, we think of them as, oh, it's kind of like us, but from another galaxy yeah. and they're in flying saucers and whatever. And he was saying, actually, you know, it's more likely that it's di they're dimensionally somewhere different to yeah. us rather than physically. But the... Um, the you you you're you're aware of Alistair Crowley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 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 being that he um channeled and talked yeah. to called Lamb. Yeah. If you guys who are listening, if you go and go and have a look for a picture of Lamb, um it's a grey alien. Yeah. It's a it's a grey dude with a big yeah. head with weird eyes. So 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 this is kind of my my question is 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 it is it even possible for us to really differentiate between alien and divine supernatural or it, we just don't have the the kind of language and the, the the concepts to understand it if i'm if i'm really really honest i think i i am I'm, I'm of the I, I like the idea of being in a different dimension to where we are right um and that that's that in hinduism is quite important because like one of the things that in one of the sayings that we have is death is only the beginning. So when you die, you go to a different place, right? But not place like in heaven or hell, but you literally go to a different dimension. That's that's kind of one of the key concepts there. Um, and I see the thing thing with me is like from mythology and no, like I I know my mythology pretty well, right? Like 
there is a there was up until a, until I had kids, I would read the Mahabharata at least once once a year. Um, so I know my Mahabharata like the back of my hand. And there are references to flying saucers and flying chariots and flying this and flying that and missiles and random stuff like that um, in, in, our, in our mythology where I kind of think to myself, like, that's a bit too specific. It's, and and like a bit like with the flood myth, yeah. they're found everywhere else yeah, as well. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a there's a Michelangelo painting or one of those mm. paintings. It's got a flying saucer yeah. in it behind Mary yeah. or you know yeah, literally yeah. just painted sitting up there in yeah. the sky. So so yeah, I mean if if this also is a kind of um, a quite a, a, a universal in in terms of all around the world. Yeah. There is also mythology of flying saucers, yeah. people that came from the sky, yeah. South America. Yeah, yeah. They've, all, they've got the same kind of stories. Um, then do you, do, you, do you then separate out real God with a big G from lesser gods that came later that are all also created by the creator? Um, no, I think there's one creator, and and I'm going to probably sound really crazy to your to your listeners. Uh, uh, crazy right? is my um, so. My 2016, place. I went out to my wife and I went out to uh, Amsterdam. Um, I took a shed load of mushrooms, and I am certain I met God. Right, I met the creator of this universe, um, and like. Uh, I'll send you the link. I've got. I've written everything down. Like the next day, I wrote everything down that I saw, and I am certain I met this being, and I had a conversation with him, or like him, her. I don't know what it is, right? Um, I've had this conversation with this being, and like the way I kind of what I kind of took away from that, and then Joe Joe Rogan's ayahuasca stuff, and you know, all, all of those kind of conversations that are out there right now, there is a part of me that actually thinks that when we take those kind of uh, psychedelics, it it changes your brainwaves, right? So what you might be able, like what we pr think as being reality, it's probably only like 50% of what it is, right? Or 1%. Or 1%, it could be 1%. And when you change your brain waves, you are you open yourself out to more, more of a like a you know a bigger spectrum of reality, and because of that, I think what we would think as being a god is probably like sat right there, but you can't you and I can't see see that person because our brains are designed to work in a specific way right you, you know you, you're you, you're an ophthalmologist so you, you you'd understand like eyes it works in a certain way yeah but if you turn turn the dials in the brain slightly different you're going to see other stuff right um same with like if you uh, like i've got a cousin who's um, a psychiatrist and he's telling me about like um uh what do you call it um paranoid schizophrenics right paranoid schizophrenics in the western world they get they are they are the the voices in their heads it's about destroying themselves paranoid schizophrenics in uh, south asia and southeast asia it's them talking to their ancestors right and he was telling me like it's really weird how brain chemistry suddenly like if you're from a culture where it's very family orientated 
and you know extended family it's your ancestors you're speaking to your ancestors whereas if you're from a nuclear family it's you know death to your ego kind of thing right and he was it was really interesting conversation it was mm-hmm. only, only like a couple of weeks ago so that it, what you just said it it, it is right it, it is about the chemistry in your brain changes perception and when you ch- perception of reality and there might be beings that we can only access through certain psychedelics um i know for a fact in in the hindu text the oldest the oldest written book in the world the rigveda that there is a reference to something called soma and soma i think the closest thing that comes to it is a fly agarkic mushroom so the the you know the uh, mushroom in alice in wonderland right so that's that's some, they must have taken that stuff seen some stuff and gone okay had possibly had interactions with those and out of that came came the enlightening in that hinduism has taken on right and i wouldn't be surprised if what people think is being aliens are just beings in another dimension that we've managed to get access to you yeah, know for sure yeah 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 well they, i mean this is the thing you know i i i i had had this um kind of pre-programmed um notion of aliens where yeah physical mm. beings they come in a you know flying saucer and yeah. for some reason after going across the galaxy they crashed in you know texas or yeah. where and, and you know we we recovered their spaceship yeah. doesn't really make a lot of sense yeah. um but but yeah inter interdimensionally um m- makes much more sense and and lately for myself i've become much more i i've i've been aware in terms of reading about it and mm. watching videos about sort of energy fields yeah but lately i've become much more aware of it in terms of actually feeling it actually starting to kind of tune into mm. to, to to where energy mm. is and how it changes and how it feels I mean, yeah, like yeah. you say you can walk into a a temple or a, even like um i used to i used to sort of have this and i didn't really have the language to describe it well i used to do a lot of kung fu when i was younger yeah, yeah. and um <clears throat> The main gym was in Golders Green. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, was it a church hall or it was just a it's, hall? It's the one behind the bank, right? Like next to the church. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. Nam Yeah, yeah. And um, every time I would walk into that hall, even if I'd get there early, or sometimes I used to stay when everyone had left, yeah. it, it was almost like you can hear people training in there still yeah. when there's no one there. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it just had this kind of real, very yeah. real energy in there. And, and, I think this is something which we certainly as Westerners and Western culture and, and very, very much so over the last three, four years because mm. of the the lockdown, all the, mm. the fear porn and all this mm. craziness. We've kind of lost this um, this connection to the the non material, non you know, yeah. right, can I hold it in my hand? Can I mm. taste it? Right, it doesn't exist then. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, and I have also heard, um, a couple of accounts of people using, I think they're far infrared goggles at night and seeing stuff flying around in the sky that you can't see without them. Things that look like dragons and Mm. demons and weird stuff. So... 
those other so so all right so it's kind of doubling back then to the to this ancient civilization and, yep. the, and the ancient architecture and these sorts of things i think we can both agree and i think most people who, who probably study it for more than 20 minutes can agree that there, there certainly were pre our history civilizations yeah. that had technology to build things and understand, like you say, where they yeah. were and draw maps and you yeah, know, yeah. look at the stars and, and these sorts of things. Do you have an idea of how far back it goes? Um, and do you think that there was one previous to the flood or do you think there have I been... I think there must have been many. I'm, I'm one of those weird... Like, humans, humans, biological humans have been around for... Homo sapiens has been around for 300,000 years, right? Roughly. I find it, I find it, I find that it's a high level of hubris that we think that only in the last 10,000 years we've been able to achieve what we've been able to achieve, right? I think there must have, I, 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 I genuinely think that there must have been other civilizations that were there a long time ago, but considering like if like if you find something in an archaeological site right you're not going to dig past what you're going to find yeah you're never going to do that unless you're the guy who went hunting for troy and then you know the, he dumped a ton of tnt blew everything up and kept going right but he went past troy and he went went and found another civilization and i think that's the thing it's like as like nothing against modern archaeology and archaeologists but I think the problem is that when we hit that first site, there is a reluctance to go deeper because we will ruin the, the layer that we hit. And anything that we go underneath will ruin the top layer and we can't preserve that. And I think a lot of it is down to that reluctance, right? No, no one wants to go and blow up. Like if you find, you know, this, if you find, found a city in the middle of nowhere, that's been called, like Gobekli Tepe, right? You found this. It's in the middle of nowhere. Are you going to dig any deeper than where you are? You're probably not. You, you're kind of thinking this has been preserved. We need to preserve this. So, you know, it's understandable. But if, if we've been able to achieve what we've been able to achieve as humans in the last 12,000 years, if we take that 12,000 years from hunter-gatherers to modern man, and we span it over a time of like 300,000 years, I find it slightly dubious that there haven't been repetitions because mm. like hum humans are a bit bit weird, right? As, as great apes generally, right? So most great apes have 24 chromosomes. Humans only have 23. And if you look at, if you, if you ever go on 23andMe and you get your DNA analysis done, one of the things that you find is, I think it's a chromosome two. Chromosome two is actually two chromosomes that have been fused together, right? So we are weird as as apes. And then here we are saying, oh, only in the last 10,000 years that we've become from hunter-gatherers to civilizations. It just seems like there's a level of hubris there, you know? So just just touching on that, do you subscribe to the, th the, the theory of evolution or more so that there was some genetic engineering? Because that seems more likely from that, what you yeah, just said. Yeah, if you're going to say, yeah. But then again, if we, you know, if we take into account all of, all of, the, all of the scientific stuff, like, you know, solar flares, x-rays, all of that jazz, right? 
it's possible, right? I'm not saying it's prob like it, like it, I find it difficult that there is genetic engineering, right? It is very easy for a fold to happen, and that fold causes this, right? That 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 for me kind of makes more sense. But again, like I I when people tell me conspiracy theories, I t I start questioning what what are what is their agenda, and if someone like with even with evolution, when I was taught it as a child, like. If you if you if the what the school teaches you, that's not evolution. That's just a load of rubbish, right? But if you look into what Charles Darwin is saying, it's about specific pressures that cause specific adaptations that cause a, that those adaptations for that environment will uh, will stay with that animal, right? And over time, if you take say like um, two birds in Galapagos, the finches. If there are pressures where one one doesn't isn't able to get the food, but the other one has because it has a certain beak, but it this animal's found a way of like kind of going higher up the plant. Great, like it's going to happen. You're gonna get those kind of adaptations. But we're talking about thousands of generations, right? Not just not just one or two generations. Mm. I, I I do like Mendelian Mendelian. Um, um, is it Mendel? Mendel? Yeah, Gregor Mendel, right? Yeah, yeah, I like I like that. But again, it's you know, it, it's. Uh, I, but then, then, the, what 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 is the uh, the Hindu um, myth legend teaching about how man was made, and how do you reconcile that with? Because uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. There was kind of monkeys. They hung around for a few million years, and then gradually they turned. There into isn't people. really. I think the closest thing that comes comes to mind is the um, is the, the 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 ten avatars of Vishnu, right? So the ten avatars of Vishnu is it starts off him coming as a fish, then coming as a turtle, then coming as a boar, then he comes back as a half man half lion then as a dwarf then as ram uh parashuram ram balaram krishnan and then it's meant to be like kalki which is meant to be the future person right i think that's kind of what evolution looks like for us okay so you kind your your creation myth is kind of evolution uh, it is evolution sense. okay right? and if you look at like the hindu if a lot of the hindu things that we that people may not be aware of is it, it kind of fits in quite nicely with modern science as well right um for example this is something that i i recently like i only found this out in the last couple of years um the a day of brahma is 4.72 billion years right so the a day in Brahma is the the creator. His day, one day, is four point two uh, billion years. That's the age of the planet, roughly. Like it's four point eight plus or minus hundred million years. So that level of accuracy to think, okay, this is how long it's taken, right? And like there are these little things in in Hindu, yeah, not necessarily mathematics, astron uh, or astrophysics, but there are these little th little kind of you know pigeon uh, like you know the what do you call it Hansel and Get Gretel right uh, the breadcrumbs right and you're kind of going like that that's weird like these group of people again four thousand years ago 
possibly 5,000 years ago when, oh, this is what how long a day for the creator is. And you're like, that's pretty bloody accurate, right? That's, you know, 4.8 versus 4.7. It's pretty yeah, bloody accurate, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think I think a lot of the... A lot of the, the, I think a lot of the things in Hinduism, especially like it's there in plain sight, but we just don't currently understand the, the, the old text enough that we can make sense out of it. And if you take like the Indus Valley civilization, we still, I don't think we've still, as far as I know, we haven't deciphered their text, right? We found that like 78, no, hold on. Uh, it was in 1876, right? I think that's when they found it in uh, Pakistan. Um, they found all, you know, they found all these texts and they found all these um, stamps. Uh, when I say stamps, not like the stamps that you put in a letter, but mm -hmm. you know, the punch stamps. Um, but they haven't been able to decipher the text. And if you if you look into the Indus Valley, Valley civilization, it 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 was there from about 3,000 years BC to about 800 BC, right? roughly speaking um it spans all the way from afghanistan to um to gujarat sindh so it's like the northwest corner of india and pakistan where india and pakistan afghanistan mean and part of um iran means what that area is where this indus valley civilization is and if you look at some of the cities that are there indoor plumbing right um water um water reservoirs that will siphon water from the the river hold it and allow you to disperse it through through the city um there was no king or you know there wasn't a predominant leader there was a like it people think that it's more of a, like a committee ruling and like if you look at the lifestyle and the the houses that the people had like indoor plumbing flushable toilets you know, all before Rome and the Western civilization even thought about building it, it was there. Mm -hmm. um, brickwork. Brickwork, like if you look at the brickwork, it is bricks. The people don't make anything with stone like here, right? Here it's marble, um, limestone, it's stone. Whereas if you look at what, what they were doing in India, it was fired bricks. And that that's the other thing. Like I find it amazing that all of these things are on a, on a fault line, ge ge geological fault line, right? Where where the Everest is, that's that's a fault line. We get earthquakes in India, northern India, a lot, and these these places are still there, you know. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to um, to hear from a from a different perspective because, like I say, I've I've looked at these sort of ancient civilization mm. stuff over a, a fair period of time but but more so um i i guess from like a western way of looking mm. at it via graham hancock yeah. rogan robert shock you know all, yeah, yeah. all that sort of um side of things um <clears throat> but one thing i just wanted to 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 double back a little bit is the Going back to the flood mm. myth, yeah. Um, so the biblical, yeah. you guys have got one. Yeah. Like you yeah, say, yeah. everybody's got one. Yeah. And the flood myth, am I right in saying for you guys as well, was to to cleanse man at the time from the earth because he was sinful. No, it was the gods were displeased with 
humanity. It wasn't about sinfulness. So there's no real concept of, like with karma and dharma, there's no real concept of sin per se in Hinduism. Um, it's it, it's basically the, it, the, the God is Indra and basically he got, uh, he was, so Lord Krishna basically uh, said to, said to his village that, you know, why, why are you praying to Indra on this day? Why not pray to your cow? Because the cow gives you food. Why don't you pray to your farm? Because the farm gives you food. Like you don't have to pray to this being, right? And on the back of that, Indra decided to make it rain. And, um, uh, Lord Krishna lifted up this hill and protected his people, right? So the flood myth's a bit, like, there are a couple of flood myths, actually, for, off the top of my head. The one where he comes back as a fish, right? Like, that's a flood myth on itself about how um, uh, Lord Vishnu came back as a fish to save save the planet. It's never about saving humanity. It's about saving the planet. But the flood was was sent by... God. Yeah. Because the world was in imbalance. Not it's not about sin. It, it's from one of the things that I remember like going through like so I have this collection of mythology, right? Um there are numerous times when the earth fell out of balance. So it it moved out of its orbit or it moved like the way the, the spin of the earth slowed down or something like that, right? Um, which which led to the gods intervening on the part of humanity, of the planet to fix it. And the flood myth is about imbalance on the planet. And the, this god came back as a, as a fish to restore balance. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a different way of looking at it because my, my, my kind of um, uh, concept is that in terms of uh, evolution versus mm. genetic engineering mm. and these sorts of things is that if you can have a God entity that can flood the earth to mm. restore balance, mm. cleanse it, whatever... To me, that that leans more into man is made kind, you know, from the Western way of looking at it, in in the image of God, yeah. rather than just you know, God just said, "Well, I'm just going to put stuff here and and see what happens." Yeah, which I suppose yeah. that is that is um, a possibility. But <clears throat> something that I've that I've been um, interested in recently that I've I've been listening to. Um, is that our physical reality, so earth, yeah. humans, a physical yeah. body, whatever, this is, this is something which is created by God to uh, almost like... Um, like uh, you know those uh, chemical gardens that little yeah, kids yeah. used to, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever they're called... To to try to experience novelty, yeah. Because God cannot, God knows everything, yeah. So God cannot experience any kind of yeah. novelty, and God is therefore either bored or wants to experience yeah. novelty. So He created 
earth and put people and plants yeah. and whatever on it just to see what would happen yeah it's an and, experiment and, and let's be honest like if you are if you're omnipotent and you are all-knowing like you can just uh, for me like i i can kind of see one of these gods go you know what let's just do some shit for shits and giggles see what that's like right yeah and i i like i'm i'm a bit weird because i also don't believe in the um, uh, big bang theory mm-hmm. right um i'm i'm i believe that there must be a mechanism of white holes and black, black holes for black holes to turn into a white hole um which you know i, I know a lot of my friends take take the piss out of me for this right um because I think that there are multiple universes, right? And I think the multi multi universe kind of theory for me it, it makes more sense because of this that there is a possibility that there is a universe out there where what humans don't exist, right? <coughs> and I think that's that's the thing. It's like if you are an all knowing God and you are creating the universe, why would you just create one? The chances are you are going to create more than one, right? Um, and you're going to go go and try changing the parameters on on all of these universes to see which one works out the most. And the chances are that we're just a just a uh, simulation anyway, right? Um, but like I'm the ancient alien stuff. I I find it quite. You know, I understand where humanity would say that these kind of things. Um, like, especially like if, you know, that take, for example, now, right. We, if, if, if we had a cataclysmic event happen and humanity literally gets wiped out, most of humanity gets wiped out. Who are the people that are going to survive? It's not going to be people like you and I, right? The guys in the Amazon. It's going to be guys in the Amazon. It's going to be the guys in, in like the Andaman Nicobar islands who know how to, they they are survivors. Mm. And, when they leave their little little um, spot and they you know they do they get people get wanderlust and they walk walk around, they're gonna come and see, you know these these things. And how do you explain this? How do you explain um, uh, rock formations? How do you explain like like if you went if you went and saw the pyramids for the first time and you had never ever seen buildings, how would you explain it? It's a mountain or it's a hill, right? And I think that's the thing is that like a lot of the, and when they find out that, oh, someone must have built it, it's very difficult for humans to comprehend that another human has built it, but it's easier to say God built it, right? Especially if you're from a, you know, these not, not as developed, uh, civil, like hunter gatherers, right? It's much easier to think that God has put this here. Yeah. But like I say, I think, I think you can potentially differentiate between god the creator Mm. so universe god that made everything and other entities because again you know if if um if if you can take uh, a lot of mushrooms yeah and transport yourself uh into different dimensions temporarily then it would be um, kind of uh, hubris, you could say, that that all these other um, little experiment petri dishes yeah. in the can't do the same thing. So why why could they not come in a? In, why could they not have a mechanism to become physical 
and come into our realm okay. and build stuff or, okay. or show uh, technology or, you know. Okay, so um, again, I want to kind of go back to what we're talking about, Damascus steel, right? We can't make Damascus steel anymore, right? We do not know how to make it. There have been people who've experimented with it and they've got very close, but they cannot make it. And I think that's the key here is it is possible for beings to lose that technology. So yes, we have mushrooms that allow us to potentially go to a different realm, different, different dimension. But it's also possible that the people in those dimensions haven't worked, have lost that technology and haven't learned to come back here. Right. I think it, it works in both ways. Right. We, we, we know that humanity has lost a lot of technology. It's also possible that whoever we meet on, on the other side of our psychedelic trips, they're there and they, they can probably sense us, they can probably feel us, but they know they don't have the technology to come into our realm. And I think that's that's something that I think like But do you do you not think then it's a possibility that in the same way that we have lost the technology to make Damascus steel, mm. that there could be uh entities from other dimensions that have lost the technology to come to our dimension yeah. and interact with yeah. us. Yeah. I think I think that's probably the most plausible kind of scenario, right? Like there there might have been a time in humanity's existence where there were these inter intermingling of dimensions and intersharing of uh, of technology and you know like that's that's definitely a like it, it is in the realm of possibility that from again I think I'm I'm a bit biased because I think like um, because I do believe that psychedelics do take you somewhere else I think yeah that that in my mind that makes sense but at the same time I think a lot of it is that, like we have got as a, as a as as a species we have lost touch with nature fundamentally right our brains from like if you look at the size of uh, homo sapien uh, skulls craniums they're actually getting smaller because we're using technology to remember things right and like if you take the like uh, i remember i was watching um, um, uh, a youtube video on this and like the guy was saying that the craniums of hunter, uh, you know, pre-civilization hunter-gatherers, their craniums were much bigger because they had to remember more stuff. Like they need to they needed to remember what when a certain animal is going to be in their area. They need to know when the fruit will be in their area, where to find. So, so overall, their their brain had to be bigger to remember more stuff. And I just wonder if like there was a period between when like all of these kind of flood myths and the aliens and, you know, uh, travelers coming down, down onto this earth. It, was, it happened about between like 7,000 and about 4,000 years ago, right? That's, if you look, Sumer, um, uh, Hittites, all, all of these kind of big civilization, it happened like, there was a specific period where all of these stories randomly showed up, right? Mm. And, I, and I wonder if it was the transitionary period where humans went from being hunter-gatherers, remembering, you know, having to use their brain, big brains to becoming civilized. And there was this transitioning period where we actually could tap into something that was probably a little bit more... Well, this, this is, the again, the um, 
<clears throat> I heard it on Rogan. I think it might have been um, Terence McKenna. Mm. The, the theory of the um, the apes coming down from the trees into the plains yeah. and eating the mushrooms. Yeah. And the mushroom, the psychedelic mushrooms, yeah. giving them these kinds of crazy ideas about making tools and yeah. making houses, and 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 this was kind of the, yeah. the one of the theories of of um, of evolution. And and interestingly, <clears throat> I was supposed to do a podcast yesterday, which we ended up not doing on about health, mm. about kind of uh, trying to build a, a framework for what is good health. Mm. And I and I just did a little bit of research and I went back and watched a couple of things which I've seen before. But um, I looked at a little bit of the ONS UK um, mortality mm. data. So 2001 to 2018, and, and it, it it sort of changes from 2011 onwards, I think, because they, they changed the way they did yeah. the reporting. But the, the number one um, killer for women in the UK, what, what do you think it is? Breast cancer? Alzheimer's. Oh. Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah. For men, it's heart disease, yeah. followed by Alzheimer's um, yeah. and dementia. Yeah, yeah. And so that that very acutely leads mm. uh, or, or supports that, that concept, yeah. you know, of a shrinking brain. Yeah. And and like I said earlier, I think that the damage that's been done to 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 people, to society, to education, to kids over the last three, four years because yeah. of the pandemic, the lockdowns, all of this sort of stuff. It, it's, it's, we're gonna, we're not gonna comprehend all the damage we've done for, yeah. for 25 years. But, but, you know, even, even previous to that, because that was data up to 2018, yeah. um, that I was really surprised. I, I, I didn't think, I thought it was, you know, one in a yeah. thousand people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's the number one for women and yeah. the number two for men. So it does it does support that that um, that idea, but coming so so coming back again to something that you said a little bit earlier um, that this might be a simulation, yeah, which I very much think it might be a simulation, yeah. and that again, kind of um, maybe in the and I mean you obviously your your understanding of this would be vastly deeper than mine being a software engineer, yeah. and you know I'm I'm a, I'm a I might play like a bit of Farmville yeah, yeah. for five minutes yeah. or whatever. But if so so this is the thing that I find is 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 interesting. Is that the the coming back to the flat earth thing, yeah. just to poke a stick a little yeah. bit, is that most people who I talk to, um the flat earth as a concept is the one thing that they just cannot entertain. Yeah. It's like, no. You talk about aliens, eh, maybe. Talk yeah. about demons, maybe. Talk about whatever, Sasquatch, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I, you can bring in anything else you want yeah, yeah. and people will entertain 3%, 5%, whatever. But when you say flat earth, everyone throws their toys out of yeah. the time. But let me, let me just, let me just ask, ask you this. And and again, I'm 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 interested to for you to to maybe um, go into this from a software yeah. point of view yeah. because if it's a simulation, yeah, it's some kind of software is running it. Yeah. Maybe not in the way that we understand yeah. it, but there's some kind of you know uh, yeah. mechanical system that, yeah. that sets the rules and makes yeah. it work. So if it's a simulation, and that could include. 
God's experiments, yeah. would that that would kind of uh, satisfy that thing of it's a simulation. Yeah. Why can it not be a flat? Yeah. B flat and a ball. Yeah. C something else yeah. altogether that we can't even measure and we don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Why does it have to be the spinning ball? I, I think I think if you're taking that that kind of that that question, right? Um if I'm totally honest, I think there are if we take my belief in the in the multi multi universe system, I think that it is possible that there are um there are other universes where things are flat and other universes where it can be a mixture of the two. But I think for me, in terms of the mathematics that I've read about how they calculated the circumference of the earth, right? For me, that if you look at the maths, which was done, I think, by the Greeks 3,000 odd years ago, it was a pretty simple kind of... With the wells or the sticks. Or the whatever. sticks, yeah. right? So they did the sticks and they went like 12 miles and then they put another stick and they just, you know, they worked out there is this arc. Mm -hmm. And I think in it is possible that there there is a universe out there that if you, if, again, you have to, it, it requires you to believe that there are more than one universes, right? And I think for most people, I don't, I think that kind of, that that problem of being in multi there is a possibility that there is multi multiple universes that that is the problem there right i think the flat earth problem if you're if you're a flat earther and you're trying to sell this to people it's difficult because people have been taught the maths right they know about the stick experiment so for them to go well wouldn't wouldn't it be like like it's it, it's difficult to kind of explain right is for you to explain it to them that it's flat it, it won't work i think i think though I, i've seen a have seen a an explanation of how the stick thing works on a flat plane i can't remember I, it off I, the top of my I, head, I remember seeing a video recently on reddit about this guy showing you would this, still have the yeah. shadows that no but, knock but off it's, to it's the sides based on the light right but it, but the, I think the thing with the flat model yeah. or, the, or the sort of yeah. at the moment, Disc. and you know, I I, I would I would kind of qualify this whole thing as I'm not I'm not wedded to flat. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to to like my 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 perception of things at the moment is pretty much everything that's well established is bullshit. Yeah, and I yeah. mean everything, yeah. everything, everything, and that includes where we are. Yeah. And that's that's why I kind of constantly am questioning. But let, let me let me let me let me just let me just ask um, because you know I don't know whether you've whether you've done a lot of digging on it. But there's you know various videos and articles mm. and stuff. Two hundred proofs the Earth is yeah, yeah. flat. And all all of these sorts of things. And there's a lot of them that are so flaky. Or yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of like this is you know you're really yeah. getting into the weeds here. But there's there's um, there's a few things which, for me, just don't make sense if we're on the spinning ball. Yeah. And again, you know, with your with your sort of mathematical engineering, etc. Knowledge. I'm I'm interested to hear if you have an explanation for these that makes sense to me. One of them is a large body of water. Yeah. Can the top of it be curved? So if I look at an Olympic swimming pool, yeah, it's not massive, yeah, but there should be a slight curve on that, yeah. And if I look at a, a frozen lake or whatever, yeah. 
I think I'm right in saying, because I, I tried to, to find it this morning, that the the accepted curvature of the ball earth yeah. is eight inches per mile squared. Yeah. That sound right? Sounds about right. So, I mean, it might, it might be might, four, yeah, it might yeah. be... I'm, I'm, I looked this morning and I think it's eight inches per mile squared yeah. is the curvature. At, I think it's is it supposed to be 44,000 kilometres yeah. across, something yeah. like that. It's eight inches per mile squared. And that means if you go uh, 10 miles across, you're looking at something like 28 metres of curvature. Now, you can stand on a beach yep. and look 10 miles across to another beach. There's, there's various places or lighthouses, these yeah. sorts of things. Okay. And you can see the bottom of okay, them. Okay, so l let's, let's do... L l do me some maths. Okay, let's do some maths here, right? Okay, um, you said about 10 miles. It's not ten miles. It's not that much. So if you take into account an average human, average male, say average human beings, one point eight meters, at one point eight meters with that with that measurement, the the curvature, it's only three miles, right? Right. So if you are standing at sea level, yeah, which is zero zero degrees up, right, and yeah, you yeah. look out at sea, yeah, the horizon's only three miles away, right? Right. And and I have seen the maths for this. It is it, and I, I remember doing this in A levels. But this is this is the horizon accepting the curvature, of, curvature of the, of the, right. right? And we know that if you go higher up, you can see further out, right? So if you go start climb, say you're on a cliff at a beach with a cliff behind you, mm -hmm. as you go up, you will see that curve. Yes, of course. Right? Okay, so that's the thing. It's I think it's when we start looking at when we start thinking about flat earth and if if you're in a flat earth if you go up to a high enough point you should be able to see the entire planet yes yeah right theoretically yes we've been high enough have we i think i think the satellites tell us that we've been high enough right i don't know what do you think about okay if that's the case then what do you think about like, stuff like the james webb te telescope um, give no. me some details on it. Okay, so James Webb t Telescope is at it's at a point away, so far away from the Earth that they've gone and placed it at a perfect position where the orbit of the Earth is not affecting it. And this telescope is looking out into deep space, and it does um, a lot of it, it can go from infrared all the way to like ultraviolet band, right? like some of the pictures that have come up from the James Webb telescope. Do you remember when the Hubble telescope went? We had the horse head. The details of the horse head nebula right now, it is ridiculous. And they have been able to, like the, like the um, uh, super, black, uh, super, super black hole, they've been trying to take pictures of that, right, in, in the center of our galaxy using this telescope. So we have been to a point, there is now a point where we have gone, we have put an object that is far away from the planet, that the gravity of the planet does not really affect it too much. It's in a stationary orbit, right? We have been there because there are people who've gone up like Tim Peake who have come down, right? I think the moon thing, that's a bit dodgy. But right? even even the even the Tim Peake stuff, I'm, I'm a little bit dubious. Uh, but but hang on, because because I mean this I I yeah. I do love this subject, but I just I just want to quickly go back to the the, the, the water, yeah. <clears throat> because the, you know there's all of these other ones are ones where 
you can kind of argue this yeah. way or that way or with this telescope, why don't they yeah. point it back at Earth and, yeah. you know, you know they, they only point it yeah. outwards. They never show it, whatever. Um, but the, you, you, basically you're telling me that the surface of an Olympic swimming pool... Is curved. Is curved. Yeah, it is curved. We can't measure the curvature. You can measure... Well, if you have a swimming pool that has glass on the side, you will see the curve. If you take, if you go and take a measuring jug, clear measuring jug, right? Glass yeah. measuring jug, yeah. and you pour water onto it, yeah. you will see a meniscus. Yeah, yeah. No, right. I'm not talking about a meniscus because the meniscus is just the edge. Okay. You're, I'm, I'm saying that the, the, it's a perfect curve across the surface of that, that swimming pool. Not, not flat with a meniscus and the meniscus is okay. two millimeters okay, okay, and okay. that okay. I understand what you're saying. Okay. You, you know, I'm saying that the top of that pool, your model says... It should the, be curved. The middle of it, the middle of that pool is yeah. deeper than the edges. That's what your model says. And to me, I, at ca 50 I can't... Meters? At 50 uh, centimetres? You just, it's, you're talking about very small measurements. Okay. But if I have, um, if I have a, a, a lake, let's yeah. just say, a frozen lake. Yeah. If I put a marble in the middle of it... Yeah. It should roll to the edge, right? There's lakes that are two, three miles. Not, not necessarily. It should have a curve. Not necessarily. Necessarily. No, no, no. Why really? not? Right. I, I think, this is why. Okay. Maybe I'm just okay. not thinking okay. about it the I, right way. I think way. if you're taking a, the lake analogy, right, <clears throat> I think you've got to take into account a few things, right? A lake surface is much different from a land surface, right? And you're talking about three miles, mm -hmm. right? Two, three miles. That is like not enough. Well, but going to the maths, yeah. three miles at eight inches per mile squared yeah. is three squared is nine times eight inches yeah. is how much? Uh, nearly a meter. Yeah. Should be a meter of curvature. Yeah. But let's let's remember optometrist here, right? Optometrist. Op optometrist, right? The way the eye works, it's not like the way we would think an eye works like when we look at something, we know it's possible for something to be, to be look flat, right? Yeah, but, but our, our visual system is is a perception system. Okay. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying I should be able to go and, and again, I'm not yeah with a laser. I should be able to go and measure the I, curve. I think you can. I've never seen it done. I'm I'm sure that it is. It has been done. But okay, okay. So yeah. so let's 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 part. Okay, it's been or it hasn't right. been done, yeah. right? Because yes, we we you know when I, whenever I've looked at it. I've never seen it okay. proved. Just but, but, going about the flat earth, on. I just want to say one thing, right? As a Hindu, I should believe in flat earth because in Hinduism, the earth is supposed Go to... Go straight in your mind. Sorry. Um, in Hinduism, uh, you, you're basically... The, the model of the planet is that you're on a disc that's sitting on top of four elephants, hence why we get earthquakes, uh, uh, who are standing on a tortoise that's swimming in a, in a giant sea. Right, that that's what sorry, that's that's what it's supposed to be, right? So I should believe it, but I think the, the reason why I I kind of find it a bit dubious is we've got photos from the moon, right? Uh, but we also have photos from things like Voyager, right? Voyager one and Voyager two have taken photos of of the other planets, but have they taken photos of Earth? They have, but if you look at if you're saying it's a disc, mm -hmm. right? It, possibly. Possibly a disc. It's like from that photo, if you if you want to like, it, because space is black and black background gives you no perspective, 
like if you saw that photo there's a there's i think it's called the family family something right voyager one or voyager two took this picture from i think just past uranus or saturn and it has all of the other planets pointing towards the sun and you can see the earth mm. and this it's this tiny pale dot blue dot in the in the distance right but we can see the other planets and the other planets are curved and you can see see how they are all curved so from my, i mean my pushback on that is is it a real photo I don't know. No, I think I'm not saying no, it is or it isn't. Like, I'm just putting, saying putting that, people on the moon. I, I, in the '60s, I kind of find and that phoning bit, the White House and phoning the White House, right? Like, there's too much shady shit going on there. Um, but okay, think, but but all right. So so so, but because these, I got two more uh, yeah, questions yeah, yeah. That I wanted to ask you. You know, from yeah. a, again a sort of mathematical engineering yeah. perspective. So, one is is curved water. Yeah. From my understanding, rudimentary understanding of physics. It's impossible. That's how a spirit level works. Right. It, it works because water finds a flat level. That's yep. how we pretty much measure everything. Yep. So if we have curved water that goes round the surface of a curve, which is what the ball model says, yep. that don't make any sense to me. But we can agree to yep. park it, yeah. right? The second one is space is a vacuum. Yeah. Earth's atmosphere is pressurized at, is it one bar at sea level? At sea level, yeah. yeah. How the fuck does that work? Oh, okay. Right. Um, how you does that work? The vacuum of okay. space. Vacuum of space. How does one, it work? One bar of pressure. One bar, bar of pressure. And our atmosphere doesn't get sucked off into infinite space by a vacuum. Okay. Here's, here's the thing. It does. It does get... There is a part... The top layer, it, there is there is a a certain amount of recycling of the atmosphere, right? Because otherwise we won't have things like the Aurora Borealis. Yeah. So I think the problem here, like I understand what you're saying. It's, it's a vacuum, but if you take into account gravity, gravity is holding everything down. Vacuum is trying to pull it up. There is a point where it will come to an equal equilibrium, right? No, no, no. Hang on. Vacuum is independent of gravity. No, it's not. Yeah, if I point my vacuum cleaner up, it's it okay. still sucks things in. Okay, but you're talking about sucking things in, right? A vacuum, like if you go and put something in a vacuum jar, it does. If you you can put something in the middle of the vacuum jar, it's not going to end up at the end of the at, on the sides or anywhere else. It's going to stay in the middle, right? Right. So gravity imparts a, a certain layer, a certain amount of force on the atoms and the molecules on the on the on the atmosphere that it goes up to a certain point and then it's at equilibrium no why you tell me why because the further away you go from earth the less the gravity effect of gravity it, yeah so therefore the stronger the effect the vacuum would have yeah but there is a and point then it would no but the there is a point away. where it would become an equilibrium right where no, how will, can that be you just said but like the vacuum jar yeah you need yeah, a jar yeah. Right, you can't have a vacuum. The, mm, no, the without the jar. No, no. So instead of thinking of it like that, right? Let's think of it in another way. If you take in, if you have, um, have you seen like those drinks where like a tequila sunrise, right? Where you can pour like different <laughs> yeah, different colors. densities, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's the same thing with molecules, right? There is a certain point where it, like, the force pulling it up. Mm -hmm. 
and the force pulling it down are both equal. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it will stay where it is. Yeah, but a vacuum will... So, so um, not osmosis. What's the other one? With gases. Osmosis is the water through... Uh, colloid. I, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, Dif- yeah. Like the diffusion yeah, yeah, of diffusion. gases, whatever. Is that they will find an equilibrium. Yeah. So, so over 4.7 to 4.8 billion, billion years, the, the, the universe will have the same amount of atmosphere mm. as Earth. Yeah. But it doesn't. Apparently, space is a vacuum. Yeah. Can't even can't have heat there you can't have sound there it's, yeah. it's a vacuum yeah and we've got uh, oxygen and and uh, yeah. carbon dioxide let's not forget the carbon dioxide i, I think doesn't it, make sense no, to me it may not make sense but i think if you take into account the fact that you've got gravity f- from the earth's core which is an extremely hot iron core yeah but the further away you go the yeah. weaker the gravity yeah but if and you, the stronger know, the effect of the vacuum i understand that but there is a point you've got to remember if you go into the center of the earth, the gravity is going to be higher, right? Yeah. And it's going to get weaker, weaker, weaker. Yes. There is, like, if you take into account the number of molecules in a column of earth, of the earth, yeah. it's not a lot. No, but think about it like this, right? If if there's an e- a point of equilibrium, yeah. and let's, let's say for the sake of argument that it is um, 500 meters above yeah. sea level, that's, yeah. the, that's the equilibrium yeah. part then you would still get nothing above that. Yeah. And the stuff at that level would would go back down again. Because the the further you go from the center, right. the weaker the gravity. Yeah. So every every molecule that that escapes above that yeah. point goes. Okay. And never comes back because it goes into there is, yeah, there, space. Yeah. So there is a part if you there is a part of space where space starts and where the so the, where the atmosphere stops and where space starts, where we are, we will get leakage, right? It's going to happen. I'm not disputing that. That 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 is hundred percent possible. It, it probably is happening right now. But if you take into account the if the amount of molecules up there at the topmost part of the atmosphere, it is not very dense, right? Like the the pressure up there is very low so whatever gravity can impart on it it's still going to be relatively strong right so like if you go on top of mount mount everest you you i don't know about you you do the crazy wim hof breathing right i don't think i'm going up there without oxygen (laughs) right so you will need oxygen because there isn't enough oxygen there for you to be able to breathe yeah right so that means that it's less dense up there Mm-hmm. And that's only what eight thousand meters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we go further than that, it's going to be even less dense. And I am like the ozone layer and that you know that top layer of the atmosphere. I don't think it's like a giant circle that's very discrete. I think it's going to be quite fuzzy, right? It's mm-hmm. not like you're going to have some that go escapes out into the void, mm-hmm. right? Because we know about solar flares and we know what solar flares can do to do to the earth mm-hmm. right and we can see the ionosphere with the aurora borealis so that's the sun's rays interacting with the molecules on the at- topmost level of the atmosphere or the firmament the what the firmament what the hell is that that's the lid <laughs> do, do you guys have that on your on your um 
the disc does it have a no it doesn't, doesn't have, have a, a roof no so the biblical one obviously has, okay. a, has a roof right right, right. um and <laughs> i've never heard of that word before no this is quite kind of cool um yeah so i i think i think the that that like i've seen the aurora borealis when i was flying mm-hmm. so we went to iceland to see the aurora borealis yeah. we saw it at the ground and then we were flying and the captain said oh everyone if you want to if you want to see the aurora borealis just look to your left and we you know my wife was like oh turned around and looked and we could see it you know we could see it actually interacting at the level we were at it was like 30,000 feet right kind of cool but th- that that is what i'm saying is that there is a point where i don't like we think of it as a circle what whatever we've been taught it's simplified to the point where we can teach it to children if you are a scientist and you are an expert in your field you're dealing with stuff that is not as it's not discrete it is very fuzzy it's very you're you're trying to find the the fine lines right fine margins mm-hmm. so i think the uh, your question going back to your question about vacuum sucking it up it is and for all intents and purposes that could be one of the reasons why you know we we've got the climate change that that's going on right that we are losing losing the atmosphere then then a climate scientist will turn around and said yeah if we pump more uh, pump out more uh, fossil fuels well you're exciting all the molecules in the air and therefore we're probably using more more of the um uh, of the uh, of the topmost atmosphere, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's. I, I think in the last ten fifteen years, the way we perceive science is has changed to the to probably to the detriment. I think, like I, you know, I'm I'm thirty nine, right? Going back twenty years when I was doing my A levels, um, twenty one years, um, like. I think the physics and what I was, I did maths, physics, chemistry. I'm a good Indian boy. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the, what, the science that was coming out at the time, I think people were much more, um, they, they were a lot more accepting of scientists coming out with effectively scientific fact, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I think, I think partially it's, it's certain blue um social media companies Uh, i'm not going to say their name i'm not going to validate them um i think it's just we've got more information and i think when you have there's a point where your your human brain just can't deal with that level of information yeah and i think we simplify things to make our lives easy i mean let's let's go back a hundred odd years right sherlock holmes Sherlock Holmes believed that the um, that the sun orbited the Earth, right? If you remember um, in the first book, Watson writes all of Sherlock Holmes' skills, and he says he does not believe in Copernicus's heliocentric model, right? It's the same. I I, I kind of like whatever whatever makes you, like if your work isn't in astrophysics or you have no interest in astrophysics, you can say that the world is a disk. I am okay with you believing that, right? So just just to, just to sort of um, put a pin in that yeah. almost, if we, if we go back to right where we started, yeah. which was that we potentially have 
pre-historical civilizations yeah. that had technology that we've lost yeah. and we don't understand yeah. anymore. All of those pre-histories, mm. I think, have the earth being flat. I don't know. I mean, you you guys yeah, do. I know, I know in Hinduism it was flat. Yeah, Bible does. So that I don't know enough about the that, Sumerian. But, that, that, but I wouldn't that be surprised if, for a fair bit. Right? Yeah, I mean, the Bible Gil and, and Bible and yeah, Epic of Gil Gilgamesh. I mean, that's pretty much the start of the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so so you know, it, again, it just it just raises questions for me. Always to to query. Let me let me just let me ask you my third one. Yeah. Which is a much more, I guess, it just will depend on your your kind of worldview of, of how things happen. Why has nobody ever done north, south, north round the globe in inverted commas? People have circumnavigated around the equator this yeah, yeah. million times. Yeah. Everyone's done it. But to go across Antarctica, yeah. so you leave from Argentina and you yeah. pop up in New Zealand, you go yeah. to South Africa to Peru, yeah. no, one's, yeah, yeah. no one's ever done it. I'm sure they have. Never done it. Really? It's never been done. It's never been done. Ever. Even though even the few, very, very, very few Antarctic, you know, go to the South yeah. Pole expeditions. Yeah. North Pole, it happens all the time. Yeah. Like people, independent bods are yeah, doing yeah. it. I'm sponsored by Kit Kat. Yeah. Off I yeah, go. Yeah. I, I, South I, Pole. I think I'm right in saying South Pole's, you know, it's like sort of a handful of times in, in, in the history yeah. that we know about. And they just go to like uh, uh, Peru or whatever's right. at the bottom. They go down, they say, look, we crossed the South Pole and they go back to Peru again. You uh, should, someone needs to go Peru, uh, pop out okay, in New so, Zealand. That will prove it to me. Okay, uh, fine. I think, I think we, can, we can, there's probably some, someone who's going to listen to this and go, you know what, I'll do that. I think the main well, thing I, is... Just to, just to, to put an extra little yeah. curly brackets on that, you're not allowed to go to Antarctica. Yeah, you know you, that, you, right? The Antarctic yeah. Treaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not so allowed to go. So even if you could go, you're not allowed to go, which raises big questions uh, for um, me. You know what? If I remember correctly, I know like I had friends in the in the who joined the army, and they could go. They had to military. The military. You can't go as a civilian. No, you can't go as a civilian. Um, and I know that there are scientists out there who go, but. You know, you, I think what people don't realize about Antarctica is it's you know you know it's not big in terms of Africa, right? If you take take Antarctica and drag it up, there's this thing where it allows you to compare the size of, right? But its geography is quite complicated, and the ice is dangerous. So if you're going to go traveling and you're not an experienced you know um, ice navigator. You are in the world of hell. Yes, but I'm I'm just I'm just saying from the perspective of Chinese superpower, Russia yeah. superpower, US yeah. superpower, multiple European countries yeah. could fund it. And and to say we're the first people, the first nation on earth that did it, and everyone's like, "No, nah, we're not." We're not. You know, I wonder wonder that. if it's like one of those things where no one's actually picked up on it and went, "Oh, you know what?" Nah. I don't think it's You really that. think so? I think it's that you can't do it. It's impossible. What I mean, look, hum, human beings, you know, you we're both humans, yeah. right? We've both been on the planet, yeah, planet yeah. a while. If this something can be done, done we'll people do will do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, everyone wants to be the first or the quickest or the, you know, under my own power or ex solo yeah, expert. Yeah. No one's ever done it. 
I mean, obviously, people can fact check me and go, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. as far as what I've been able to ascertain, even there was a recent one, it was about maybe, must be like four or five years ago. Yeah. They made a big deal about it in the news for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But gone, to the, gone to the South Pole, whatever. And they showed the guy's route. He went down to South America. He went in and did a circle, went back to South America again. And they said, look, he crossed the Antarctica and he crossed the South Pole. No, and like, crossing is like going from one, one side, side to, to the, the other. other. Um, I can't do it. No, I mean, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is something out there in Antarctica that these governments want want to keep quiet about it. The right? edge. Huh? No, the, I don't think edge. it's that. I think it's something more... more. Um, do you think there are aliens there? So, you know, like, when at the end of the Cretaceous period, there were dinosaurs. When the dinosaurs died out, there were dinosaurs <clears throat> in Antarctica. They found found the bones. I wouldn't be surprised if we are like, sitting on a shed ton of coal out there well that's that's yeah. what the the um admiral bird are you familiar with that stuff no and uh, i think beginning of world war ii or end of world right. war ii there was an american admiral called admiral bird that they sent loads of expeditions yeah. down off of south america yeah. into antarctica and there's 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 a lot of documented stuff. There's some interviews with him as well, yeah. and he basically said that they what they found was an ice wall. So yeah. you know, like I didn't watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, but yeah I think yeah, like, the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, an ice wall which was hundreds of meters high, yeah. and beyond that was um, he said like mountains of coal enough yeah. enough to power the U.S. for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. So, but again. You see, to me, this doesn't make sense because if that stuff is there, yeah. you're telling me that China doesn't want to go and stick a flag in it. America doesn't want to go and stick a flag. They're like, no, no, we're just going to oh, fight over okay. the landmass up here. Let's just go, go. instead of going <clears> South Pole, <throat> let's go North Pole because for me, that's easier for me to kind of explain. Greenland, right? Greenland is a part of Denmark, right? The Danish, Danish have military people who spend six months of the year up in the North Pole basically just doing a bunch of patrols with their dogs, right? And the reason that they do it is so that they can claim sovereignty over that, over the whole of Greenland to the point, that, that, like I remember seeing this, it must have been about 10, 15 years ago, but I do remember this. And the the reporter, the person, the journalist asked him, like, why are you guys patrolling here? And, he's, and, he, and the guy said, well, the reason is that we we think we know that there are a lot of resources uh, like coal and minerals and so on and so forth that is just beyond the reach of our current technology and we want to we are basically keeping this so that when it becomes financially viable we've got this we've got the oil we've mm -hmm. got the gas we've got whatever and we can then become rich off that right makes sense and Going back to, like, we mentioned climate change, and I want to talk about climate change about this. I, I personally think that the greenhouse stuff that they're doing at the moment, like the carbon dioxide increases, I think it's because it will get us access to the North and South Pole. I think at the moment, the ice sheets are way too big that we, can't, there isn't, we don't have the, I don't think it's necessarily the technology, but I don't think we have enough resources to make it financially viable. And US, I think most of most of the big superpowers have stations in in Antarctica now. 
I know India has an Antarctic station. And I think that's what they're doing out there is they're trying to find out through, they call it, I mean, it is scientific research, but I think the bottom line is it's all about the dollars, right? It's all about money. It's all about getting those resources out of there so that humans can consume it. And I think that's the, that's what's happening. And, but but I mean that we 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 ostensibly are trying to stop climate change, or do you think really we're not? I think we're not. No. I don't. I don't think we will. I think seven like going. You know, I said about the world being out of balance. Seven billion human beings. We are in terms of animals. We are considered pretty large, and seven. You know, I think it's eight billion now. Mm. Eight billion people worldwide, and it's only going to grow as. Healthcare gets cheaper and more affordable for poorer countries. So, you know, people will live for longer. And I think, like, we ourselves have a have a kind of, we are impacting on it. Because I don't think we've ever had in the history, in the fossil record, I don't think we've ever had an animal that has been able to go to every kind of, sector of the planet and dominate right like whether it's the ice caps whether it's you know the equator whether it's desert wherever humans go we will find a way to thrive so i think like there is a level of our own impact on on the planet and you know the the amount of energy that we need it's going to only get bigger so i think like part of it is i, I don't think i think part of me thinks that like there will be a point where the ice sheets melt there will be a cataclysm humanity will get wiped out again only the you know the the, the guys in the jungle will survive and we're going to have new myths and i think that's what that's probably the way it's going to go so one one question for me that that uh, brings up which i i meant to ask you mm. earlier on but that that doubles back to it <clears throat> is your five temples um Earth, air, fire, yeah. water, and ether. Yeah, and ether is, as far as my understanding, uh, is what Tesla was using. So the the yeah. being able to draw electricity yeah. directly from the ether yeah. and harness it and use it to power yeah. Yeah. whatever. And that, as far as I understand it, which is not understanding it very well at all, is a abundant. It's it's all around us. Yeah. If we if there was a way to harness it, literally, we we would need to burn yeah, yeah. nothing. Yeah, and build nothing. Yeah. It, literally, you just whack an antenna up. Yeah. Which I don't know if you've seen these. Um, there's a few movies on um, all of these kind of again. It yeah. kind of comes back to these sort of slightly prehistory um, uh, uh, building. Yeah, is a lot of these churches with the spires. Yeah. That the, yeah. the the sort of the towers with the metal stuff yeah, on yeah. top are Tesla coils, yeah, yeah. and they were able to draw yeah. electricity in from yeah. the ether and power the, the yeah. surrounding. I mean, if you if you look at the architecture of the the tower, the temples as well, yes. it's it's like this kind of tower, like triangular shape, yeah, right, and yeah, I, I kind of. I, but that technology then um, kind of puts to one side the um the issue of trying to go and find more coal or build yeah. better solar panels or whatever because these are all just kind of potentially and again i think there's some 
debate on it, but potentially finite resources. I mean, there's a debate that I've heard that oil is self-replenishing under yeah, the I've crust. Yeah, I've recently heard of uh, oil fields randomly filling back up. Yeah, exactly. I, but but if you if you can take energy from the ether, yeah, then job done. Yeah. No, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Then you're then you're just talking about um, physically how many people can can, can we sustain fit. Yeah. And um, I don't know whether this is correct. I think it, it's correct. I heard it from a couple of places that even with 8 billion people, everyone on earth can fit into Texas yeah. with a house, with a garden. Yeah. So we've got plenty of room. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, again, that I, that I, that I see when, when you travel yeah. and you jump on a train yeah. or you jump on a plane. Mostly what you see is nothing. Yeah, yeah, but okay. So energy alone, right, it's a it, like if you take into account what we need as human beings to to thrive energy is one of them the second one is food and a place to live right shelter right if we get those kind of three fundamental things yeah that's we we will we can sustain more people than we have now however if you look at look at the planet and look at what is viable arable land there is only 18% of the entire planet that is suitable for arable land any all other land is not suitable and we would have to inject things like um uh, fertilizers like you know the nit nitrogen um gas-based fertilizers and stuff like that and that's the problem right if we look at what what the planet is capable of in arable arable farming it's not a lot of land and most of that land right now is in in a giant war the other bits are um in western europe it's germany germany and france uh, india's got pretty decent arable land uh, south america has almost nothing us has us us as as a country is it, like it, it it is energy rich it's farmland is really suitable and they have a lot of farmland that is suitable for arable arable farming so you know it's I think the, the going back to the question, right? Um, one, we have to look at that. If we have can get free energy, we have to look at where we can, where the, where one like where we need to think about our food, right? And how we're going to house these people. However, I think the problem with the free energy thing, especially from the ether stuff, is if we go back into who was funding Tesla's research. <laughs> It, it was JP Morgan, right? Like he he had made some really interesting discoveries, but as soon as it started encroaching on the the um, the what do you call it? It was the copper no the steel business. As soon as it started encroaching onto the steel business, oh no, we're shutting it down, right? And I think that's that's the problem. I think there are there are people out there. Um, Again, this is where I'm a bit a bit of a conspiracy theorist, um, like the Vanderbilts and you know th those kind of companies. They have abnormal amounts of power, and essentially they they can fund the research. And I think right now, it is financially viable for them. It's more makes makes more more sense fin financially for them to go and find more coal, go and find more hydrocarbons however i think there will be a time when e either we will be facing climate disaster or 
basically we will go into like cataclysms, right? Where there will be a reset and then that reset will cause us to think about different energy paradigms. And I think that's the thing. It's like even solar power, right? If you're in the UK, solar power is only really useful from end of March to end of September. The rest of the year, it is not useful at all. Like you're not generating enough electricity to run your house and charge your electric car. And I think that's that's the thing like people don't understand about solar power is that if you've got solar power, there's so many other things that you have to worry about. You only get it during the day, but most of the time we're using it in the night. So we have to store it. So we need batteries. Well, batteries are a dirty, dirty business, right? If you know anything like, what's his name? Francis Ngannou, yeah? Worked on a manganese manganese mine, mm. clawing out... Um, clawing out uh, manganese with his bare hands and like uh, rudimentary tools. Mm. So it, like if you know, if you once you start looking past the the hype and you start looking at like these other sources of energy, potential energy, you kind of realize that it's still going to be dirty and you have to find like my objective, I personally think that we should re reduce the impact on the planet, right? Not necessarily like we can still use hydrocarbons, but we need to find other ways of kind of making sure that it's offset. Like not necessarily carbon offsetting, but like, you know, then there's probably other kind of technologies out there that we can use. Um, I know for a fact that like lithium polymer batteries, um, China's the biggest producer of it um, because they have the highest levels of um, lithium reserves. But the problem with lithium is it's usually found with cadmium. And if you, if you know anything about cadmium, it is a nasty element for human beings. Like it l softens the bones, it destroys your kidneys, destroys your liver, destroys your intestines. Like literally as a human being, you are destroyed. Um, and however, like at the moment, we look, oh, lithium polymer, lithium polymer. But we've got graphene, mm -hmm. right? We've got these graphene batteries and no one's bothering to look at it because it's not financially viable and this financially viable thing is what irritates me it's like financially viable means it's profitable not it is not the bleeding edge it's not the leading edge of technology it's like we are happy to have something that's basic when we know that there's something better out there mm. um well, th yeah, I mean, this was this was something that that just was interesting to me recently. That Elon Musk um, had said maybe a year or a couple of years ago that he thinks we need, I think he said, eighteen billion people. We need eighteen billion people on Earth yeah. in order to to get enough geniuses yeah. to to let us go off planet to come yeah, up yeah. with you know yeah. new technologies that yeah. will then allow us to to do more things he said you know it's the opposite of what most people say that there's too many people i, I think if I, um uh, newton was around now he would uh, he would say to elon hold my beer <laughs> you know um i, th I think uh, like I, I admire elon for what he's doing but i think sometimes he's he, he he's pandering to the crowd Right, he's, yeah. he's more of he's become more. He's uh, of his time. He's yeah. figured out exactly at this time in human society how to yeah. function. Right. Yeah, but I think the eighteen billion. I, I I personally think that's probably not correct. I think it, it, we don't need that many people. I think it's 
if you take into account of the you know 8 billion people who are out there india has like 1.4 billion china has 1.3 billion and out of those people it's not even the like the people who end up in say like the satya nadellas and uh, you know the guy who runs google um the 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 people who end up in like iit it's not even the top 0.01% it's like 0.001% and i think that's the thing it's i understand the scale business but if you're working in if you're working in somewhere if you're a person who's like living in in say uh, i don't know like western sahara where you know there's no infrastructure but you're really smart and you're really clever and you've got really cool ideas how the hell are you going to get found out right mm. um and i think that like this whole trying to scale it out i think that's not the right way i think i think the the money should be put into people like you know giving children children and young young adults in other countries an opportunity to attend places like MIT and Cambridge and Oxford for free so that they can learn from the best and they can take their ideas of what they've seen in their their homeland and be able to come up with novel designs so i want to give regarding that i want to give an example um the guy who designed the the bullet train the shinkansen train in japan he actually designed the the front of the train to be of of a particular beak of a bird that he saw and he basically said that the reason it i remembered how fast it was flying and thought oh that would be a good design and guess what it works right and i think that's the thing it's about like being a genius doesn't need to, doesn't mean elon you can be a genius but you can take inspirations from other things and turn that into the engineering right and i think like for me that's as as a software engineer it's it's that it's i will see something and i and i'll see like something in happening in nature and go oh i wonder if i can apply that here and then guess what it might work out and it's like oh really cool and i think that's how we, what we're doing with um um ai like we've we've realized we've done enough research into the way the brain works and then we've been able to model it and we've been able to create that model and then we can then run programs over that model so i i was going to ask you just very quickly before we finish up about ai mm. so all of i think human um biological life yeah. is driven by hormones yeah can uh silicon based uh platform have intelligence not intelligence like you or i and in this in this in this reality not like you or i so i mean i i i well, i guess what my question is artificial intelligence is a misnomer it's it's a, term, it's a it's a big data system or whatever yeah rather than artificial intelligence it's it's not intelligence like how you know you take a child uh, you know who you know a baby and the baby learns to be- and becomes a doctor or something like that right i th- i think what what we've been able to model is the learning process so these i mean the thing is 
what people don't realize about artificial intelligence, it's not actually run on a CPU. It's run on a graphics card processor, mm -hmm. right? Because graphics card processors can do complicated calculations over and over again for really low resources, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's what people don't realize. And what we, we we've been able to do is we've understood how learning is done and we've been able to then apply models for specific outcomes. So I, I don't know if you do use Teams or any of that kind of stuff. Occasionally. No, occasionally, right. If you see the background, you can stick a background on and occasionally you'll see like little rips, right? So basically they're using AI to create the background around you because they know what a human face and a human body is supposed to look like. So they use an AI, AI program that can superimpose that background image on you, but take into account the um, the the kind of the, sorry the edge of your face. Mm. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, <clears throat> I was gonna, I was gonna mention this when you said about the bird beak with the bullet yeah. train. So this is. Um, Something that I, I often end up telling patients when they ask me certain questions at, at work, mm. but the um, the eye only sends a signal back to the brain of changes in what you see. Yeah. So your eyes vibrate, right? yeah. they have these saccadic little movements. So the image is constantly changing yeah. and therefore the sensor says, oh, new image, send yeah. it, new image, send it. And um, when they made the first, which I, uh, this is probably the, the latest evolution mm. of the same thing, when they made the first video phones, yeah. it would take about three or four seconds for the image to load. Yeah. But then it would only send the mouth yeah. because it would save bandwidth. Yeah. So it would load a picture of your face yeah. and then it would just send the mouth moving. So yeah, you're, yeah. as far as you can tell, the person's talking to yeah. you. And that was based on the way the eye works yeah. to, to, to save bandwidth. Yeah. So I guess it's the, the same yeah, it's thing the same with thing, AI, right? Just the, the, better the, efficiency. It's better efficiency. And like ChatGPT, what, what they've done is they've created an a API that developers can interact with, but also they've created like this this app that allows human like normal people to interact with it. It's not it's not artificial. It's it's artificial. Yes, it's intelligence of a type of intelligence, right? Um, I I call it the Indian Indian intelligence, right? Because in India, when you're taught stuff, you're taught raw knowledge, right? Whereas in this country, you're you're kind of the way education works in this country is like you're taught you're not taught to memorize things. You're taught to learn things and learn skills in a way that you will remember them. So AI could. We could rename it as Asian intelligence. Asian intelligence, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And and if you look at like if you like, I I, I wanted to write a article on. So I'm into quantum quantum computing as well, uh, and I wanted to like understand how to what you know. I wanted to write an article that that makes sense for the layman, right? And I was I I genuinely got stuck. I got stuck in the mathematics, and I went, "Oh my god, what have I done? I've written this article." And I showed it to my wife, and my wife was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." But she likes maths. Like I said, yeah, I don't think I can publish this. This won't make sense to anyone but physicists. And so I went on ChatGPT, and like I wrote something, just asked, you know, explain this to me as a layman, and it did it. And I was like, "Oh." And that's how I should have worded it. So I, you know, slowly started changing the wording in my article, and I'm going to publish it probably next week on LinkedIn. But basically, like, 
what they've been able to do is to kind of condense information. So do you remember like um, you, you used to be able to get those books, which were the um, cliff notes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's effectively like a cliff note system. Yeah. Right. That's all it is. Yeah. And, but you can do a lot of cool things. Like um, if you take quantum, pro- quantum computing and AI, you can start working on protein folding. Right. And I think if we are able to kind of work out how protein folding happens, then the the types of medicine that we're going to get in the future is going to be a hell of a lot more impressive. Um, like I, I worked for a, a biotech company up until August last year. And like, you know, the, one of the things that I learned there was like, the reason why the pharmaceutical companies are like charging us millions, billions is because they might start research on something like 10 years ago, but the chances of it being viable is like 1%. Mm. And that's the problem. And we were building a uh, software that allows them to automate their lab. And what we were doing, like I was working in the data team and we were thinking about like applying, um, applying artificial intelligence to allow you to predict what your experiment might be, might end up like, but then also to give you guidance on what the next ex- experiment ought to be. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of, like, this is a British company and, like, they're doing some really cool stuff. And it's it's there. Like, artificial intelligence, shouldn't we shouldn't be scared of it. Yes, it's going to take a lot of work away from a lot of menial tasks, right? And But if we upskill our population and we work, you know, a lot of it is, like, it's making sure that the people the modern, the children who are coming out into the workforce have been given an education that will suit them for being in that workforce, right? So a lot of the tasks that data entry tasks will go away because we can basically get a, you know, we can send a database and we can basically write, write, um, write, ask artificial intelligence to do data matching, right? So those kind of jobs will go away. But effectively it should be considered to be like a tool that will make you more efficient just like you know we now store most of our you know you don't probably don't know um ibby's phone number off the top of your head right i don't know anyone's number. anyone's number off the top of your head right that's the thing like we've got this tool that has made us dumb mm-hmm. in one way but it saved off saved the energy of remembering stuff yeah elsewhere yeah 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 beautiful that's probably a good place to yeah. bring it to a close before we go down another another rabbit hole. So maybe when I when I do a bit more research, you can come back and yeah, uh, we can yeah, we can talk about that yeah. a bit more. Um, where's the best place for people to follow you? Um, if it's so, if 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 it's like the um, Indian stuff, and you want to follow me on that um, on Twitter, Krishnan two seven eight four. I'm on. I'm the same same on Instagram. Uh, but I only post my BJJ stuff on Instagram. Okay, so BJJ on Instagram yeah. and uh, anything else on Twitter. Indian stuff on Twitter. And did you say you publish on LinkedIn? LinkedIn as well, yeah. So yeah. that would just be under your name? Yeah, under my name, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming down. That was, Thank a, you. That was a fascinating conversation. It was it was uh it was as good as I as I hoped it would be. 
cool. and, and hopefully um, everyone who's actually stuck with it yep. through, the, through, the, through the last couple of hours, hopefully you enjoyed it as well and you got something from it. Um, follow us, follow, follow the podcast. The best place is uh, White Basement Pod on Instagram. And uh, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, sometimes on Rumble, depends on the episode. Um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. Um, yeah, we're, we're in all the good places. Every Tuesday um, we release an episode. So um, yeah, follow us and we'll catch you next time. If you don't deserve my love, you won't get it, no credit. Me over once and regret it, yeah, I said it. Feelings and emotions, I can shed it, re-edit.